everybody. Episode 93 of GarageCast last year was with a gentleman by the name of Richard Rogers. And he was talking to our dealers about how they could benefit from some of his tax strategies. We have been fielding a ton of questions in our 20 clubs about some of the information that Richard put out there. And we decided to bring him back onto the podcast with his main legal counsel, Brett Mock, and kind of gave him some follow-up questions and asked him if there was anything that has changed since we last talked to him since we're going into tax season. We hope that this clarifies a lot of the questions that are out there, and hopefully it makes you uh, make some really good tax decisions here before uh, your deadline. So listen in to uh, Richard Rogers and Brett Mock. We're going to do our best to get new thinking out there. There's going to be discussions centered around growth and new thinking. That's where those great ideas come from, exploring them together. Nuggets that you can go back and put into your dealership that'll help you make more money. This is GarageCast. Welcome to Garage Cast. Sam Dancer, there's two things that are certain. You know what those are? Uh, one of them's probably deaf. Yes, that's certain. And the other one is taxes. 20 clubs. Oh, I thought and it was 20 clubs. Yes. yes. Profitability. Taxes. Yeah. <laughs> Death and taxes. And, you know, we're recording, you know, beginning of March which means that taxes are looming. Everybody now, as, as we've been saying this for the past six months, if you don't have tax problems right now, good luck with continuing on in your business because uh, this was the time when you should have stacked a ton of hay. But everybody has tax problems right now, right? Uh, would you agree with that? I would agree with that. And I remember the first time I ever heard Ed Lemko speak, he said uh, his goal was to create tax problems for our dealers. Love I think, it. Uh, I think we've done a pretty good job through the years of living up to that legacy. Well, one thing that most certainly did a good job of living up to that legacy was this cute little thing called Corona or COVID, which has uh, you know created a crazy spike in power sports and marine and RV sales. And sometime it was back in about November, we had a gentleman on the show by the name of Richard Rogers. I don't know why I'm calling him a gentleman. Just Richard Rogers is what we're going to call him. Wow. But, really? Uh, yeah, wow. right? Yeah. He's a, he's <laughs> a tax well dude, man. Episode number 93. <laughs> yeah. You can't even call the man a gentleman. Yeah, right. No, but we had this gentleman, Richard Rogers, on, and that episode blew up. I mean, it broke the internet when, uh, when that thing went out, and all the dealers just started firing off emails and text messages. And in our 20 club, it was a massive point of conversation. And so not only... Did we get a lot of great feedback, but we got a ton of questions. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm sure you fielded them. All of our other moderators fielded them like the what ifs. Okay, but hold on. What if we do this and they don't do that? Blah, 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 blah. So we were sitting there trying to disseminate all these questions and answers. And what Sam and I realized is we can't count past 20. I mean, I have to take my shoes off to count past 20. So I'm not the guy to be talking about taxes. You know what I mean? Dantzler, are you? I don't know. I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good with math, Tony. I got the skills. But why wouldn't we get the guys back on? Why wouldn't get we get Richard back on in tax season? That just made the most sense. It did make the most sense. And so instead of us trying to uh, go ahead and and answer these questions, which you know we were we were confused by a lot of this information as well, we decided to have Richard back on. Richard, thanks for joining Absolutely. us. Absolutely, it's good to see you guys again. Yeah, you too. you too, man. And we also have 
a tax attorney who does quite a bit of work with Richard by the name of Brett Mock 3 Speed. Brett Mock, welcome Thank to you. GarageCast. Thanks Thank for joining you, us. Thank you for having me. So let me just go ahead because we do have a lawyer on this podcast. And so Brett, I, I just want, I want to be protected here. Sure. So what I want you guys out there listening to know is that in all seriousness, Sam and I are not advocating that you do any of this stuff. We are just, we got great information from very smart people that you had a lot of money sitting on the table. And so we decided to, you know, interview Richard, but at the end of the day, we're just two dumb dudes with microphones that run a small business in the power sports industry. That's why we have the professionals on the line with us. And so and with that being words, said, our names will not appear on a class action lawsuit is what Tony's trying to tell everybody. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Right. And Brett, you're going to pro bono that if we do. Yeah. With that said, <laughs> let's, 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 let's just jump into this. I'm going to ask you both, but I'll, I'll start with you, Richard. Sure. Since we last had this discussion in our last episode, has anything changed? Like, is there anything that you want to tell uh, the people that listened to the last one that you want to update them now? Uh, take as much time as you want. I would say the only thing that's really changed is that, you know, we've had a ton of inquiries and we've worked on a ton of motorsports dealers. And I, I don't think any of the laws have changed. I don't think any of the processes have changed. I think the only thing is that they're getting a lot of information from a lot of different people. And I think, you know, this mm -hmm. is really timely because uh, Brett is the tax attorney that we work with. Brett mm -hmm. is, he is the specialist. He's an ex-IRS litigator. He is really the source. He actually lectures to CPAs across the country on employee retention credits. So anyway, uh, Brett is the guy that we work with. So when we talked about having this discussion today, you know, I was thinking, well, you know what, let's, let's bring the source on here. Let's bring the guy on here that, that not only does the calculations, but he also does the legal review of how an employee retention credit really works. Because this is not just a calculation. This is tying the business disruption that the, the dealers have had to the governmental mandates that created those business disruptions. That's a, that's a legal task. That's not that's not an accounting or a calculation type task. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally makes sense. So I love that you started with that. So then let me let me cue you up with my first question. And I hear this from quite a few of my dealers, and either one of you or both of you can take this, which is based off of what you just said, Richard, my understanding is that a business likely qualifies if their supplier was partially or fully suspended due to a government mandated COVID closure, like we're somewhat discussing right now. In Googling this, which is probably a horrible source and you can see my intelligence right there, but in Googling this to death, you can't find a single instance of any of the typical manufacturers, Honda, Polaris, Harley Davidson being forced to close in 2021. So do you have proof of this or like, like, how can the dealers find proof of this? Because obviously manufacturers and, and Brett, I guess I'll look at you on this one is it's all verbiage and nomenclature of how you say something. So you protect your six, but do we have proof of this, that this happened? Yes. Yeah, so every attorney should always answer the question with it depends. Right. So I'm just going to lean in on that <laughs> and then charge you by the you word already. after that. Right. So long and the short, your statement of yes, people probably do qualify. True. Here, I'm going to lean into some statistics I heard from the IRS. They anticipated about approximately 80% of taxpayers claiming the ERC credit. 
um, as of November of this past year, I think about 13 to 16% of taxpayers had. So definitely untouched. Now, looking at the law, a lot of times people will say, well, gosh, I feel uncomfortable, right? Where's the history? This is a one-time stimulus bill, right? I hope there's nothing like COVID again. So there's not really a history. There is the code. There are FAQs from the IRS. And there's a few things out there in the ether in terms of guidance. As an attorney, I always look at a rule and I say, all right, let me break this rule down. Let me look at it and see what am I really dealing with? And where we have a government closure, we try to classify that into three prongs, three parts of the test, causation, effect, and duration, right? So you have a duration of some closure, effect more than 10%, and we can talk about that in a minute, um, and then causation, that causal link between the closure to the effect. So talking with people out in industry, they may say, hey, man, I, I can't get the units I need to make the sales. Okay, let's talk about that. What kind of uh, reality are you seeing? Are you 10% off? Are you 20% off? Are you 50% off? Can you, are you barely scraping by? Okay, that gives us a good you know, trail to start with. Where are the shortages come from? Like, where do they come from? Uh, it could be that you, know, you can't gather together to attend an auction, right? Because a state said, hey, no more than 30 people in a room. Okay, you have an effect. You, know, you can look at that government closure and directly relate it to your lack of units. You may have a manufacturer saying, look, man, we can't get chips. If we can't get chips, we can't make units. If we can't make units, we're limited in what we can do. We're only giving you 70% of what we promised. You've got some communication from the manufacturer. You can kind of look at where they getting, where are they getting the chips, et cetera. So you have your effect and what the dealer is feeling in their stock. You have the duration, right? How, what, what was the cause of that effect and how long did it last? How long was the shortage? How long, you know, whatever that gives you a time period. Um, and then you have the causal nexus. That's part of what we, we do, right? Let's look at what your situation is as a taxpayer. Maybe you had a drop in revenue. It's possible. Some people did. Maybe you couldn't gather together. Maybe you had an indirect or a direct closure, or maybe you had a supply chain disruption. Then once we see your facts, it's up to us to follow that through. Where are you located? Where are your dealerships? What kind of um, stock are you looking to sell? Are you going straight to the manufacturer? Are you getting used? All those things. Right. Let me let me just jump in here real quick because I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to the 101 of this thing, the trigger, and we're talking about employee uh, retention credits at this moment, right? So the the trigger here is can I use them in addition to the PPP loan? And I believe the trigger was that sales had to go down 20 percent year over year by something that caused it. And and just in re-listening the podcast, we were t- talking about how coronavirus or the government shutdown caused it, therefore we might be qualified for the tax credit. Is that a reasonable statement? No. The, so it is the qualification of something called, we call a disjunctive test. It is not this and this, it is this or this. Conjunctive means, uh, you know, someone's hat is black and on top of their head. It is both things at once. Disjunctive okay. may mean that someone has on, you know, headphones, or Apple earbuds, they not both, one or the other, right? So looking at it, you either have a revenue drop or you have a government closure. 
Those are your two methods for qualification, one or the other. Now, they both may exist. You know, someone may be down 50% and they run a gym and the government said, you can't run your gym. You need to shut your doors. Okay. Someone may be in a restaurant and they may say, I, I can't have someone into my restaurant. And I have to do everything takeout. I'm down 80%. You're closed. Someone may have a down quarter and then a great quarter, or maybe, you know, have an inability to gather, but are making great money, right? One or the other. I also want to, I think you've already answered this, but I want to make sure. But within that, that could also be not just the manufacturer saying that we can't get you what you need, but it could also be, and I heard you say this, supply chain. Yep. Meaning, let's say you know, there was a rubber and fiberglass shortage for quite some time. Yeah. If I couldn't get tires for my motorcycle, for my Kawasaki or my Yamaha motorcycle, that falls within that, correct? Correct. I mean, it, it has that effect correct. on that unit so coming in. That's a, that's a great observation. There is no limitation on a supply chain closure on how many degrees of separation between the closure and the effect. There's no, it, it just, it's in there. And that's sometimes indicative of how Congress understands what they're doing and what actually is reality. Because there are trillions of interactions in the marketplace every day. And the one limitation you have there is the 10% rule. Let's say you have a restaurant and they can't get ketchup packets. Do those ketchup packets that some people may use and some people may not use affect 10% of their sales? Not drop the 10%, but do they affect 10%? No. A de minimis thing. It's just a, a fringe benefit like napkins. However, if they can't get French fries, uh, a lot of people eat French fries. That's more than 10% of their sales or more than 10% of the employee's time. So let's relate this to you know uh, a dealer. They could look and say, hey, half my work comes from sales. Half of it comes from servicing cars. I can't get oil. I can't get filters. I can't get, you know, pick, pick your poison. So long as it's 10% of what they do that they have some sort of restriction on, they qualify. So if, if you have 10 types of cars that you sell and you can't get one of them, or you can get 90% of what you're supposed to get, you have a restriction on 10% of what you're selling. If you sell 11 cars and you can't get one of those 11, you no longer meet the minimum requirement. There's, there's some legal tests. We have to go through this to kind of look at it. Okay. Let, let me get back in mm-hmm. here because uh, in a second, I'm going to talk about the consequence of taking some of these employee retention sure. credits and the PPP loan. But for right now, just on the based on the trigger and the qualifier, I get it. Disjunctive to, as opposed to con. So the government mandate happened or, you know, like the supply chain issue was disrupted or my sales were down 20%. So we had a lot of our dealers thinking because there's, even though their inventory was down 20%, their sales weren't down 20%. And so they did not qualify. Yeah, that is incorrect that is based incorrect. on what you just told me. Yeah. Okay. Hey, can I, add, All right. can I just so add one sales, thing to that if I can? Yeah. One yeah. of the questions that I've gotten many, many times is, well, I, my CPA didn't tell me that, or, you know, I haven't found that. I mean, it's on page 180 of the CARES Act. And specifically, it's on line That's seven. Tough. So if there's any question <laughs> that it's not part of the code, it is. And they can and it they read that up. Hilarious. And if they want to copy of that, I'm happy to send that to them. Yeah. It's awkwardly okay. written as well, I would say. It's awkwardly written. Everything in tax and legal terms is awkwardly written. Wow. 
Why do you think we get? Drunk oh, you guys don't even crack a smile. You don't even crack a smile. It's like there's no joy in your life at all unless you're crunching numbers or arguing. You Come on. I'm an attorney, right? Hey, hey, one, of, one of the things I know that we need to talk about is what documentation does a dealer need to supply to prove that they had a supply chain issue? And secondarily, we've done a mm-hmm. lot of motorsports stores. So mm-hmm. other dealers have supplied some of that info. And can they use uh, information supplied from other stores for their store? I would say yes. So there is no requirement to supply evidence that you are making this claim. You file an amended 941, a 941X is what it's called. You file your claim. Several months later, the IRS provides two pieces of information, a check that has a date on it. This is for this quarter. And then a letter breaking it down saying, here's your refund. It's broken down into refundable and non-refundable, which is a whole weird way that they keep track of it in interest. So they pay you a little bit of interest for the money that you already put it. That's it. The numbers, they never perfectly tie to what's calculated. Again, see the interest amount. They just, just plop that in there. So people get this packet of information from the service and they call me and they're like, Buddy, what is this? What does it tie to? Do we have to track that down? Is that saying that people should file without documenting it? No, 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 no. Don't go to a gunfight with a knife or a toothpick, right? Get the documentation, have everything prepared before you file this. You don't want to do something in error and then have to correct it. You know, see the previous six months, right? We're waiting. So document it, have all that stuff lined out sleep better at night. Um, that's my advice. Although I'm not providing advice as an attorney and I'm not representing anyone on this podcast. Some of the information that can be provided could be as simple as the letters from the OEM saying that they're backing down production because the inventory is not available. That may be all it would take in certain scenarios, but certainly coming from the OEM, that would be a, a, one of the documents you definitely would want to consider putting into the filing. Yes. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, Okay, so what I'm understanding is that documentation from the OEM uh, absolutely should be included in that. And for dealers who don't have that, instead of them digging, since you've been working with several different dealers out there, uh, assuming we have stock templates from, from you know, I've got Kawasaki and Yamaha and KTM, uh, those can be mm-hmm. transferable from other people that you're working with, that same document. It doesn't have to come straight to that dealer. It was to all of the people who carry that brand. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely information for one client can help another client. Um, there's a lot of different scenarios where this is helpful. Uh, government closure, supply chain disruption, you know, certain ports closing, certain types of goods not being available. The more of these that we do, the more of a library we build, right? So the first person to do it, you know, we had to spend a lot more time. And the next person less, the next person less, the next person less. So there definitely is a cumulative advantage as we gather all this information. To, to, to add to that just a little bit, one of the things that we've asked for is some documentation from the dealer themselves so that we can tie specifically that dealer to the same issue that the rest of the dealers are having. It's natural to assume that everyone has the same supply chain issues, but you know, evidence is, is important. So if we can tie that dealer and their issue to the same issue everybody else is having, that just supports them and and helps them out. If you can't prove that the OEMs were required to close in some way, shape, or form, 
and and a dealer still qualifies for ERC money, especially the the, the thing that I want to tie into is revenues for the most part for most of these dealers are up. Does that have, is there a correlation there at all, or it's still just written the way the tax code law whatever that's, it is is written? That's a great question. Right. So let me answer it in the way that satisfies most people. There is a benefit to showing revenue loss. If you show revenue loss in one quarter, you automatically get the benefit in the next quarter. If you show a supply chain disruption, you get the benefit for only the duration of the supply chain disruption. So there is a written preference in the law that we acknowledge and we, we work around, right? So some people are like, well, you have to have one or the other. It's like, no, 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 no. If you can show that you're a business that had this revenue drop, you get some extra benefit. You get a grace period that other people don't get. So you get the entire quarter and you get another you know, quarters of grace period. So if you get one quarter, you qualify, you get two. If you have two quarters to qualify, you get three, right? One quarter grace period. If there's a supply chain disruption, you find the source of that disruption and you get the duration of that source, right? So it's a bit more fact intensive. It's a bit more direct and it is limited in time. So, you know, one is preferable, but both work. Okay. That, that really helps clarify that disjunctive component that you were mentioning earlier. So, um, okay, let's, let's say that I applied for the PPP loan and the employee retention credit because I followed your standards. Everything's cool. The government gave it the green light. Now, all of a sudden, we're forgiven on the PPP loan and we have, uh, is it a check coming back to us on the employee retention credit? So a check comes back to me and all of a sudden, do I need to now go back to 2021 or 2020 and amend my tax returns because I had, I'm forgiven on this loan. And so it changes the, the revenue scenario. Yes. If your benefit was in 2020 and 2020 has a set of rules, 21 is a set of rules. 2020 says if you have more than 100 employees that are full-time equivalent, I, I say that with an asterisk because that's not the test, but it's how most people understand it. Then, yeah, you need to take that credit amount and reduce your deduction on your return for that credit amount. How that's going to happen in practice? A lot of people right now are filing for that 2020 amount, waiting to get the check and saying, all right, I know that I got it. I need to amend my return, taking something out of that check and paying it to the government. So do that with the money that is that is in hand. Now, a lot of people are looking to uh, file their 21 return. The time period to file your 941s has passed. You have the first quarter, month one, two, three. You get an extra month, due by the end of month four, right? It's true for all the quarters. So Q4 is due at the end of January, just as an example. ERC was live in Q1, 2, and 3 of 21. At this point, you have to amend to claim it. So you amend your 941s. You will have those out there. Um, I've seen it come back in a couple months. I've seen it come back in like nine mm -hmm. months. The IRS has stated that they're 24 million returns behind, including ERC. That's a lot, right? So these this money is out there. Some people are choosing to wait, file a timely return on extension. Some people are filing and saying, all right, I'm reducing my deduction by the amount of my ERC. Some people are filing without ERC and saying, when it comes in, I will amend so you kind of have three options, two timely and one amended. Okay, but as long as you're legit in putting it in, there's no tail on the backside of this thing as long as when the revenue comes in, you would you use one of those three strategies. 
There's no other hammer coming from the IRS that nobody. Okay. No, no. You're amending. You may have interest, but you're also getting paid interest that is not part of the ERC benefit, right? So it's kind of you look at the time value money, you look at offsetting interest. It's it's kind of a wash. The 21 credit is going to be amending your 21 tax return, right, Brett? Yes. So there'll be a tax that needs to be paid for 21, but we have strategies that can help offset that tax. And if you want to talk about what those strategies are, we need to do that on an individual basis. So just know that, yes, there are taxes that need to be paid for 21, but there are also some things that you can do to help offset that. The strategy with tax is always maximize your gain by minimizing your loss. Like that's just, that's the truism, right? So you always look at it and say, you know, in the words of a, I believe it was chief justice or Supreme court justice learned hand is the patriotic thing to do to pay the least amount of tax as possible. (laughs) The government wrote those rules in a way that they are trying to incentivize you to take certain action. So go America. But legitimately that's what they're trying to do <laughs> i'm not sure the current uh round of administration would believe that strategy <laughs> for the record well i i've always been confused why it's greed to want to keep the money you make but not greed to want to want to take money from other people <laughs> in the words of thomas soul so okay so so i, I got a question for you and th- this is another one i've been hitting quite a bit getting a lot of questions on is so what experience do you guys have with the erc or ppp claims being audited denied or being asked to be paid back or or are we just too recent and close right now that it hasn't happened or i don't think the question's ripe yet uh i think that you know erc was made retroactively claimable along with ppp december 28th of 2020 I started working on ERC claims January 5th, right? So that gives you some time period of how long I've been working on. I have seen errors made by the IRS. Um, I have seen them double someone's claim. I have seen them do one and a half times someone's claim, but I've not seen them short anyone or audit anyone. Now, do I think someone's probably going to get audited where your claim was for $100 and you got 200 Yes. Uh, there's also some guidance out there to say, if you get a return from the IRS, that's more than $50,000 than what over what you expected, you need to inform the IRS, right? So that's just something that's out there. If you file a claim for a million dollars and you get $10 million, you need to tell someone, right? If the IRS finds that out, there will be penalties. There will be interest. Barring that, that's just empirically. I get 10 million back, 10 million back on my tax return instead of five. I'm taking that money and I'm going to Mexico. You'll never see me again. Just check your extradition so, laws. That's it. Uh, yeah, I like that. Okay. I, I only have one more and then I'll let Sam have any, if he has some as well. Um, so there's a lot of contradicting information. I know you guys do a lot of sure. uh, stuff in the auto space and obviously we deal in power sports, Marine and RV. We have had dealers say explicitly in our 20 clubs, I went to so-and-so who did it for an auto dealership and said it was good for auto, but for power sports, it wasn't going to work. I mean, diametrically opposed conversations, diametrically opposed opinions. Thoughts on that? I have known attorneys back in the time when I was litigating 
that may have been an attorney for 30, 40 years and still didn't know the definition of what hearsay meant, right? Like everyone says, objection hearsay, right? It's, it's on all the shows. Could not tell you. Or that they would say, well, that's negligent. And I said, okay, well, the common law definition of negligence is duty, breach, causation, and damage. What part of that do you not like? And they kind of blinked and looked at me and went, uh, wait, say that again? Some people don't know the rules. And they're not well written, just frankly. So for something that's around for a couple of years, it's not well written, and it's hugely complicated, I can't blame someone for being a little fuzzy on, on it. But... Uh, you know, get a second opinion. Can I tell you just a quick story on that? I, I've, yeah. had, I've had yeah. a number of dealers tell me that, well, I think I'm going to use my my CPA, my local CPA. He hasn't done this before, but he's told me that he can do it. Um, I talked to another Harley group and they told me that they had already applied for it. And it was, I don't know who did it for him, but their credit was about $180,000. When we looked at it, their credit actually should have been in excess of $3 million. Holy so smoke. To, to just go to one source or go to somebody that doesn't do this specifically for a reason that's not a tax attorney, that doesn't specialize in doing this, can cost you a lot of money. You know, I can go to my huh. dentist and ask him questions about my back, but I'm not going to get a good result. <laughs> the tax guys and lawyers cracking jokes, Tony. Who, who would have thought? <laughs> That's about. He's been waiting to drop that butte since '86. I guarantee you. Tax guy and lawyer walk into a bar, and <laughs> who has the best? all right. So, so yeah. let me fire off. I, I want to go through the questions that I, I mean. We spent we spent this whole time on the first one, right? The employee tax credit, and and. It's a huge one. We probably got the most questions on that. But I want you guys to consider a couple of things as I roll through the list. And maybe you're going to tell me no change, no change, no change on some of the things we asked you, Richard, on the last podcast, which for those of you listening was podcast number 93. If you want to go back and hit that one, that was a great podcast. And, and I guess what I want to ask you is, you know, has your opinion changed on this bullet point? If so, why? Uh, you mentioned earlier that maybe the tax code hasn't changed on any of these. So that kind of negates that one. And you know, is there a tail out there? Are there questions we're not thinking of, whether it's submitting the data or when the refund comes, something that we're not thinking to ask. But as we go through those, the employee retention credit was number one. We talked about your strategies, Richard, was a year-end write-down of used inventory. Have you changed any thoughts on that or you have anything to add on that one? Well, your opportunity to do that is going to end as soon as you file your tax return. So if you haven't filed your tax returns for last year, and you haven't taken write-downs for used inventories, you should seriously look at that. A lot of people have overpaid for inventories during the year, and that value may still be the same at the end of the year where the market may have changed. So there can be some opportunities for write-downs and tax deductions to do that. Okay, cool. How about cost segregation analysis? Yeah, there's really no change there. If you own a building and you have not done a cost seg, you are leaving money on the table. So there is an opportunity for you to get a very large tax benefit if you own your buildings and you have not done that. And that was the idea of cutting up the building into different pieces to accelerate the depreciation. Is that right? Correct. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So you bifurcate the assets in the building by its useful life and you can accelerate the depreciation. That has to be done by a tax expert, by an individual. You want to use a third party to do that. Yeah, Sam, I, I got number four here, creating a producer-owned reinsurance company for finance products, which at P3, yes, sir, Sam, we do. we do that. 
yes. our dealers. So yeah, anything there changes? There is no there? changes that, that I'm aware of other than if you're not doing it, you potentially are leaving money on the table. Uh, that did not give me enough time to look up bifurcate. So I'm going to come back to that. Uh, <laughs> utilize a deferred sales trust or other tax deferral techniques. So that is using a, a trust, an independent trust to uh, sell an asset to that the asset is sold to the buyer, the money goes in the trust, and then you only pay tax on the cash that you take. We're all cash basis taxpayers. So if the money is inside that trust, as long as it stays there, you can use that money for all kinds of different purposes. Um, So if you're looking to sell your business, unless you want to pay tax on the sale of your business, this is a great tool to defer taxes on the sale of your business. Boy, that's a lot of people right now. How about uh, request an independent review of your garage liability and workers' compensation insurance? Nothing changes No, there's there. no changes. I mean, if you're a multi-store group and you're purchasing garage liability insurance individually on each store, there can be some aggregation tools that you can use that will save you money. So we have Actuary that he's an independent insurance guy. He will look at all of your policies, he'll dissect your policies, and he'll determine what you need to have versus what you actually have. And most of the time, that will save you money. I remember talking about this one last time. It really struck me, which is uh, uh, utilizing a partially self-insured or level-funded uh, health insurance. Just the idea of you know playing with the numbers a little bit and also shopping that because you got, as those rates were going up, you were saying there are a lot of people that may want to play in that space. So any new yep. thinking on that? There's really not a lot of new thinking other than, you know, just remember that most people, if you have a younger demographic in your store, most people don't use their health insurance. You know, they'll go if if they're really sick, but it's underutilized. So if the company takes the risk, a small risk on some of that exposure, they'll end up saving a tremendous amount on their health insurance. And that's by creating a high deductible HSA plan and insuring, self-insuring a portion of that plan. So an example of 50, 50 uh, employee group that I had in California saved almost $50,000 on their health insurance by using a self-insured plan. The other thing that you can do is that you can actually use some services that you know that we have that will take and offer for a subscription, a small subscription fee unlimited prescription drugs. Okay. So you can pay a small fee per month and then all of your generic prescription drugs are delivered to your house at no copay. By using things like that, you can reduce some of the costs in your health insurance plan. And obviously insurance is nothing more than a reimbursement of cost, right? So they take cost, risk, and administrative fees, and that's what they bill you. The lower your utilization on your health insurance, the lower utilization on your garage liability insurance, the cheaper your insurance is going to be. We got the last two requests, 401k audit. Uh, Yeah. So there are some uh, fees inside of your 401k plan. If you haven't looked at your 401k costs, you know, you can save some money there. If you're a small employer with a relatively few number of employees, you can add what's called a credit balance plan to your 401k plan. That credit balance plan can give you additional write-offs. Somebody that's in their 50s can get over $200,000 in write-offs that can be put away 
into your retirement plan. So, I remember you saying uh, last time that a lot of people don't have a 401k plan because they think it's going to cost them money, but it's actually the, the reverse if it's set up right. Yes, because if you think about it, how much money you think about how much money you can put in to your 401k plan, right? Well, that's a ta- it's deductible for you. So if you're in a 50% tax bracket, say in California, half of that cost has already been saved. Most 401k plans are not going to cost you what you're going to save on your 401k plan. So you actually save money in a lot of cases by doing a 401k audit. So at, at minimum, you should do a comparison to make sure that your fees are not, you know, you know, not in excess. You, you guys can walk you through every piece of this. We we don't do every single piece of this individually. I mean, starting at the top with employee retention credits, we use Brett. You know, so we have partners that specialize specifically in each one of these industries yep. that we work with in order to facilitate all of those. Yeah, I got you. Well, that last one was golden handcuffs about, uh, you know, for your key employees increasing their retention and uh, using a refundable retirement plan. Same thing going on there. Any new tax strategies since COVID or the new administration on that one? No, no, there's really no new tax strategies there. I mean, I still think that's a great plan. If you have an employee that you want to retain and they know that they're going to give up 10, 15, $20,000 if they leave, that may encourage them to stay. You know, your employees are your biggest assets. It's not your building. It's not your inventory because you sell the same thing that everybody else sells. The only thing that makes you different is, you know, where you're located and your employees and how they treat your customers. I'm really glad to hear you say that because so often we hear the employees are your biggest expense. And I'm like, wait a minute, hold on. The only thing that make you different from everyone else out there. So it's nice to hear you say that. No, I completely, I've, firmly believe in that. And, you know, really the successful dealers that do really, really well, if if you look at them, typically they got great employees. Yeah. Always comes down to that. That's fantastic. Hey, uh, Brett, you got anything to uh, add and uh, before we button this thing up? Um, Well, something I'm, I'm keeping my eyes open for is, uh, you know, originally the ERC was supposed to go through Q4. Uh, that was rolled back to help pay for Build Back Better, which then failed. You know, but an ERC wasn't put back in place. So there's some whisperings out there and some bills that have gone to the house to bring it back for Q4. Um, I'm monitoring that as much as I can. You know, if that passes, then uh, you know people would need to t- certainly take another look um, and then maybe amend things. Which, you know, given the way the world's work working, it probably will pass after everyone files their tax return, right? Um, but then again, with the uh, everything going on in the Ukraine, maybe, you know, Congress has got its focus someplace else. So there's a bunch of stuff that, uh, you know, we keep our ear to the ground, we try to monitor. But, um, you know, if anything changes, we'll, we'll run up the flight. Sounds like, uh, sounds like that employee retention credit is obviously the biggest one with the most questions on it. And quite frankly, a whole lot to gain or lose if it's done right or wrong. So, how do these guys get a hold of you if they're interested in knowing a bit more about what we talked about? Yeah, they should contact me. They can call me at uh, 214-614-2663. It's my direct line. My email is richard at dana.biz. Or they can set an appointment online very easily at meetwithrichardrogers.com. That's Rogers with a D. So Richard Ro- meetwithrichardrogers.com. You, you let somebody else schedule your appointments for you? Just randomly <laughs> book in your calendar, huh? Well, I block off the time that I need, but uh, most of the time it is very helpful for the people that need to get a hold of That's good. That's I like yeah. it. There's several strategies that we work with Richard on, whether it's 
you know, research development tax credits or ERC or, or whatever runs the gambit, right? If all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. You need someone who's aware of people's situations that asks the questions that tries to find out what is it that you need, right? And then leverages their resource for that purpose. Yeah. So we package it up for, for Brett. Basically we gather all the information. We, uh, you know, we create we create the secure drop boxes to put all the documentation into. We audit it. Once it's complete, then we re- release it to Brett and his tax and legal team. Yeah, I love the fact that he that you came from the IRS as a what was it an audit lawyer or what was the no I fought the IRS. Oh, you fought the IRS. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I helped put some case law on the books. Yeah. Richard, congratulations. You're the first outside person out of our, not on our team that has been a repeat uh, interview guest on the GarageCast. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's pretty sweet. Absolutely. And Brett, it was great to meet you. And it's good that uh, to know that we have uh, somebody like you on our dealer's uh, side. So everybody knows how to get in touch with these guys now uh, for Sam Dantzler, Richard Rogers, Brett Mock. I'm Tony Gonzalez. Have a great Tuesday. We'll talk to you guys soon.